Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12? We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs that conclude that chapter. Um, All of us, all of us believers, we want to know Jesus better. We want to know him more deeply. We want to know him more purely. We want to know him more profoundly. We want to be different in our relationship with Jesus today and tomorrow than we were yesterday and the year before. We want to grow in Christ. And the good news that God has for us is that Jesus gives us at least five gifts so that we might know him more deeply and more profoundly. These are five very ordinary, very everyday, very mundane, yet spectacularly potent gifts that Jesus gives to every believer that we might know him better. Creation, prayer, our Bibles, mission, and today we're going to talk about Christian friendship. Now the first three, creation and prayer and reading our Bibles, are fairly obvious. I mean, we might struggle to do them, but I don't think any of us would doubt that that is the pathway to knowing Jesus better, to enjoy him in creation and to read his Bible and to pray. We get that we should be doing it even if we're not quite doing it in our lives. If we don't make use of God's world. God's ear, God's word. We're like the newborn infants of 1 Peter chapter 2 who don't even desire the spiritual milk that he offers us. A creationless, prayerless, Bibleless Christian is saved but sickly. They're a believer, they're going to go to heaven, but on earth they are sickly. This person has all the benefits of heaven in Christ, but all the wiles of earth under Satan. Woe to that Christian that does not avail themselves to the pathways that God gives them to know him better. It is to their loss if they don't read their Bible. It is to their loss if they don't run to God in prayer. It is to their loss if they can't enjoy creation and see how all of it bends back to God in worship. We get that about the first three pathways, but the second two paths, when we talk about mission and ministry and evangelism, and you talk about Christian friendship and fellowship, those are the ones I think, particularly in our culture, that should give us pause. 21st century American culture has taught us that if there's anything worth having, it can be had alone. Whatever I need, I can find the wherewithal in myself to get, to achieve, to accomplish, to realize about myself. I can do it, and I can do it alone. And scripture has a stern word for us that says, not so fast. You cannot know Jesus deeply unless you are rubbing shoulders with unbelieving neighbors and rubbing shoulders with your Christian friends. You can read the Bible all you want. You can pray all you want. 
You can enjoy creation all you want and turn it back to praise to God, but if you will not engage in the mission that he's given us, and you will not build Christian friendships within your local church, something is missing from your spirituality. You can't know Jesus quite like you could know Jesus if you avail yourselves to those gifts that he gives you. That gives a lot of weight to what we're going to be talking about today. Christian friendship is not extracurricular. It's not the icing on the cake of Christianity. It's the substance. It's the batter. It's how we know Jesus more deeply. Now, when I talk about it today, I'm going to be using the words community and fellowship and friendship and hospitality almost interchangeably. I'm using all of those words to talk about the significant thing that we find in Romans 12. I'm going to read Romans 12, 9 through 21, and it's a very unique set of paragraphs because in them, Paul gives us 30 commands. 30 commands in two paragraphs, boom, 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 one after another, and they can be overwhelming. But when I read them, I just want you to see the sheer beauty and grace. Could this be possible? Could I get around a group of people and see all of us doing these things in Christ? Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not... Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome evil, but be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is quite a set of commands, and there's part of us that wants to be overwhelmed by them, but there's part of us, there's something that tugs at our hearts that says, this is the kind of family and friendship and fellowship, and community that my heart has always longed for. Would you create that in our church body? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. you got to excuse me today, guys. I've got <clears throat> severe allergies, as I hear from the din of coughing in this room that you guys have as well. I think picking up Romans in chapter 12, like kind of skipping over 1 through 11 and just plopping ourselves in Romans 12 is kind of like picking up the Lord of the Rings trilogy after the ring has been thrown in the Mount of Doom. In other words, you're missing like a bunch of important stuff when you get there. 
The smiles you see on the faces of Frodo and Sam and Gandalf are hard-won, costly smiles in book three. It takes a trilogy for us to learn that those are the dearest smiles that a person can share with friends. In Romans 1 through 11, we have been to hell and back. Jesus did what the scriptures have always promised that Jesus would do. He became the righteousness that we are not and never could be. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose from the dead so that all of us who trust in him might also be crucified, buried, and rise from the dead to to new life. There is no hope at all for the community we find in Romans 12 through 16 without the cross we find in Romans 1 through 11. But since we have the cross, since Jesus has done this as our forerunner and the pioneer of our salvation, we get the community of Romans 12 through 16 thrown in. Every inch of Romans 12 through 16 is hard-won, spirit-filled, hand-to-hand combat. This is tough, gritty, earthy stuff when you start to talk about Christian friendship within the church. Because I think Christian friendship can feel like the gift that keeps on taking. (laughs) It is a gift to us, but it is going to cost us dearly. But I want us all to slow down before we even look at these commands and realize that the Holy Spirit is tugging at our hearts and saying to us, this is what we've always wanted. This is what I long to see. God, I want you to give me friends like this. And God, I want you to make me a friend like this. This is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. Hear that today as we talk about these commands. I just want to make three observations. From the 30 commands, I want to point out three things of the wealth that's here. Okay? Number one, the first thing I see in these commands is this. Friendship is not a question of friendliness, but of godliness. Friendship is not a question about friendliness, but of godliness. Now, we have in our hands 30 community commands. All of these commands are related to community and fellowship and friendship. Don't let the beauty of these commands fool you as to the substance of these commands, because I think we get tripped up when we read our Bibles with respect to this. I think sometimes we take the character commands in Scripture more seriously than we take the community and friendship commands in Scripture. Here's what I mean by that. When God says to us, thou shalt not commit adultery, that's a character command that Jesus then doubles down on and says lust is included. We take that really seriously because that's a character command and I get an accountability group around myself and that's awesome because I want to strive to do that very thing. And yet somehow, 
when we hear God say in verse 13, seek to show hospitality, that feels like a different command. We say, oh, that's so sweet. I love people who do that. (laughs) That really encourages me. I have brothers in my life who ask me if I look at porn. And that's fantastic. I want that and I need that. But it never occurred to me until this week to have somebody ask me if I'm showing hospitality one to another. Why is that? I treat that command as something totally different. Character commands trump community commands in my imagination as I read passages like this. So it's really shocking to us when Paul applies character language to community commands, he makes these things one and the same. Here's how he begins two paragraphs on fellowship. Listen to this. We're going to talk about friendship. We're going to talk about fellowship. We're going to talk about showing up 30 minutes early for church so that you can meet and greet in the coffee time. But before I say any of this, I want to say verse 9. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. That's character language on community commands. Here's how he ends the two paragraphs on fellowship. It's bookended by this. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is taking this very seriously. Friendship is not a question of friendliness, but of godliness. It's not a question of introvert versus extrovert. It's a question of good versus evil. Are you clinging to good and are you abhorring what is evil with respect to friendship and fellowship and community and hospitality? Those are character commands on these community issues. If that's the case, if this is really a moral issue then our excuses for not doing friendship and fellowship and community and hospitality and our life groups, they start to look really weak. All of us have used these excuses. I've used these excuses. And in this passage, they sound really brittle. I'm an introvert. I'm on a fixed income. My apartment is really, really small And I haven't had time to clean it. Imagine if someone asked me if I committed adultery this week. And I answered, you don't understand, I'm an introvert. That's how I recharge. Are you freaking kidding me? This is a moral issue. I don't care how God has wired you. I don't care your personality. These excuses, they only make sense if someone is asking you to host Thanksgiving dinner for them. But if those are excuses as a shield against life on life, shoulder to shoulder, loving, serving, and laying down and dying for another person, we don't want to hear it. That has nothing to do with the community that Jesus is calling us to. My family showed hospitality this week for 50 cents. That's what it cost us. We opened our door and we served coffee to friends of ours. We had actually bought really nice cookies for them, but we got hungry ahead of time. (laughs) 
and we ate, ate the cookies. Eve ate the cookies first, and I only ate them after half of them were missing. But they were gone. So that doesn't count towards the 50 cents. <laughs> we had the grubs later in the week, and that was way more expensive. I don't know where they are, but they ate a ton, and that set us back a lot. That was expensive. But the first group, that was only 50 cents. It's possible to do hospitality on a fixed income. Christian, I beg you, abhor what is evil. Do you know what is evil? A walled up, isolated, self-deceiving Christian life on an island. That's wicked. That's evil. That has no place here. And instead, hold fast to what is good and pure and righteous. That's Christian friendship. That's hospitality. That's accountability. It's no wonder Paul tells us in verse 12 that, you, that if you live in community, you better be a person who is constant in prayer. Isn't that interesting that he says you're going to need that to do Christian friendship? You don't need prayer if friendship is about friendliness. You don't need to pray to be friendly because on good days, we wake up feeling friendly anyway. You don't need prayer for friendliness You need prayer for godliness, and the fight for Christian friendship is the fight for good over evil. Friendship is not about friendliness, it is about godliness. That's our first point. Number two, Paul is telling us that friendship is more than just hospitality. Friendship is definitely not less than hospitality. We heard that in verse 13. That makes it totally clear. I mean, imagine if our church family had a reputation in our city as being in each other's homes. That's what we did. That's what we practiced. If we did that, we would have the reputation that the church in the book of Acts has. So friendship is not less than hospitality, but it is so much more than that simple act of hospitality. There's 30 commands here. There's a ton of nuggets that we could look at. I just want to pull out a few of them and then ask us some self-diagnostic questions with respect to them. Paul says, for instance, in addition to having people in our homes, verse 13, we are to contribute to the needs of others. Now that creates a great pair of questions for us. Do I know people in this church well enough to know the needs that they have that I could contribute to. That takes a certain level of intimacy to know someone well enough that you would know how you could contribute toward their needs. And maybe this is the harder related question. Do people know you well enough to know what needs you have that they can contribute to? Do you have that kind of relationship with people at Columbia Presbyterian Church? That's the command of verse 13. Think about verse 15. When Paul says, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. This is something that stood out to me because I think as we're we're beginning to get into Christian fellowship, we're going to find people who can come near to us in times of suffering, right? When we're struggling, when we're suffering, when we're enduring a trial, we can find those who are going to come and weep with us. We can call them when we're in need. But here's another question that Paul is asking. Do you have people that will 
rejoice with you when you're celebrating good things. Like if you are now resolving to read your Bible on a regular basis, who would you tell in this church that would praise God with you? Who are the people that know you well enough that you would share the good things that God is doing in your life that they could also rejoice with you? That's a wonderful question. Okay, here's my favorite line in this entire passage, and it's one of my favorite lines on friendship and fellowship, and it's in verse 10. When Paul says, I want you to outdo one another in showing honor. Did you catch that when we read through that? I want you to outdo one another in showing honor, which is wonderful because the Christian life is all about being the last and the least except in this one place. There is a competition going on in our church and I want to win that competition. I want to beat you. I want to do better than you. I want to outdo you in showing honor to you more than you show honor to me. It's kind of like when you walk into the gym. I don't know if you do this, but you just kind of implicitly size everybody up, right? You just can't help yourself. You see what the guy's putting on the bar, and you say, I'm stronger than him, I'm stronger than him, him not so much, her not so much, but I'm getting there, and I will be. That can happen in your life group. You can walk in that room and size up these men and women and say, have I honored these people more than they've honored me? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Uh Uh-oh. This guy over here texted me this week and told me how much he appreciates my friendship and what God is doing in my life. I'm not going to stand for that. I'm going to show him. I am going to outdo him in honor, and I am going to bury him under the table in honor because Paul says, I am out to win this thing. I want to honor the people around me more than they honor me. Okay, so that's the second one. That, that, that friendship is more than hospitality. It's not less than hospitality, but it's certainly more than hospitality. Number three, this is really awkward, and this is the most difficult thing in this entire passage. Friendship will come at the cost of forgiveness. Friendship will come, and I would say it would only come, at the cost of forgiveness. Where there is no forgiveness, there is no true Christian friendship. We said that Paul just kind of hits us with 30 commands related to friendship, one after another. You've got this huge bullet list. And if you were to put this thing on an Excel spreadsheet, you would notice very quickly that of the 30 commands, 10 of them have something to do with forgiveness. Like Paul dedicates a third of the language of friendship to the idea of forgiveness. It's not a passing remark here. It's not an addition that we add to the friendship. Paul's not naive to the dynamics that are going to happen within a church. This is at the core of a Christian community. It's that people will forgive each other. I read the Sermon on the Mount this week, and I ran smack into this line from Jesus. I mean, this thing is otherworldly. 
It's no wonder when Jesus got done saying these things that the people said, Jesus, he just doesn't teach like the scribes and Pharisees. He's talking about stuff we've never heard before. This is otherworldly, spirit-filled, surreal stuff, and I'm not sure I know how to do this. This is one of those lines in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 46. He says this, For if you love those who love you, What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Are you catching the sarcasm in Jesus' voice as he's talking to us, this rhetorical question that he gives us? I hear him saying, Wow, well, I'll be. You love people who are easy to love. You love people who look like you. And who smell like you. And they agree with everything you have to say. You love people who don't confront you. You love people who haven't sinned against you. You love people who don't disappoint you. That is so adorable. I happen to know lying, thieving, pagan politicians who do the exact same thing. There's nothing distinctly Christian about that kind of love. Even people who work for the IRS do that. And if they do that, there's nothing special about you. To love people who love you back and who always agree with you and who haven't sinned against you. The love we're talking about in Romans 12 was forged in the crucible of Romans 1 through 11. You don't get to 12 without going to hell and back in 1 through 11. Romans 5, 8 typifies this. This is our image of love. But God shows his own love for us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, while we were rebelling against God, while we were affronting God to his face daily, while we mocked him and spit upon the calling on our life, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when he did that, he turned the entire notion of friendship on its head. Worldly hospitality, which you can do, it might cost you 50 cents this week depending on whether you dip into the cookies early or not. Christian friendship is going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your rights. It's going to cost you your reputation. It's going to cost you the intrigue of juicy gossip. It's going to cost you the record of wrongs that you've kept tallied in your head. It's going to cost you the last word in an argument. And it's going to cost you even if the person sitting across from you never once breathes the words, I'm sorry. Christian friendship is going to cost you. Now, I've got some good news in the midst of that. Jesus is never going to ask us to do anything that he wouldn't first do himself. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. Jesus did everything. 
He did this. He absorbed every offense, every ridicule, every word of slander, every unjust treatment of him. He absorbed it, he paid it, and he returned it with grace and love. And so there's more bad news. The kind of friendship we're talking about in this church is absolutely impossible. You don't have the resources to do this. You're not going to be able to love this way. Your knee-jerk reaction, your mode of operation, the rut you've been in is going to return to the tax collector kind of love and find the people who already love you and don't disappoint you. And those are the people that you're going to migrate towards. You cannot do what Romans 12 is saying in and of yourself. But the good news is, if you come to grips with that and you read Romans 12 and you say, I don't have the resources for that, then Jesus has you precisely where he wants you. Jesus has you in a place where he's going to do new and beautiful things through you that you couldn't do yourself. You are going to know Jesus better when you honor other people. You're going to know Jesus better when you contribute to the needs of saints. You're going to know Jesus even better when you set your table with extra place settings for the guests that you're going to welcome into your home. But you will really, truly know Jesus more deeply when you lean on him to forgive one to another. Let's pray together. Jesus, this is the Christian life in a nutshell. We've been saved. We've been filled by your spirit. And then you set this vision of a sanctifying life that is so far out in front, it's not clear how we get from point A today to point B tomorrow of honor and giving and weeping and rejoicing and forgiving and absorbing. And yet that's where you want us, to lean on you, to trust in you, that beginning today as we get up from this service and going forward, we are going to forge Christian friendships that are born in the crucible of the crucifixion of the Son of God. They're going to look supernatural and otherworldly because you are supernatural and otherworldly. Do that in our church. We beg you in Jesus' name. Amen.